As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Okay, welcome back to Killer Queens. So we are continuing on the case of Eileen Warnos. And last week, we left off with her arrest on January 9th, 1991. So we're going to jump back in today talking about the investigation, trials, and everything in between and after. Perfect. Sounds amazing. And we kind of had a little discussion before we recorded, well, both parts, but we wanted to bring up again, I guess, just the use of the word prostitute, the use of the term prostitution, things like that. Like, we don't ever mean to offend. We don't want to upset anyone. It's just relevant in this case because of the time, because of the use of it by Eileen. And that's the term that police used for the the kind of work that she was in was prostitution. So yeah, please bear that in mind and know that we have no hate in our hearts for sex work. You know, like it's it's not like that for us. So we really don't mean to offend. Yeah, and for her, it wasn't something that she chose to do. Exactly. This was like the only option that she had, and she got into it, I mean, as a child. It was like her only form of any way to even be accepted by people, which she thought was being accepted. So... Yeah, just to connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that people took advantage of that. Oh, yeah. And that's... 100%. That's what's happening here. So definitely. Also, before we jump in, just a quick reminder that uh, if you love the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon. We've got lots of bonus episodes there. We do a weekly mini-sode on an individual case. Sometimes we do a deep dive into stuff from like a bigger case. 
But we also do like separate cases on there. And then we also do episode by episode coverage of docu-series. We are, gosh, as we speak, as we record now, we're finishing up Tiger King. But by the time this drops, I think we'll be done with that. And we'll be on to Centoya Brown. Mm -hmm. So anyway, if you want more and you want to support the show, then that's how you can, that's one way you can help us out. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into it. After arresting Eileen Warnos, investigators wanted to find more evidence and ended up finding her girlfriend, Tyria Moore. She was cooperative and willing to help police. In fact, the prosecution decided not to press charges and grant her immunity if she would talk to Eileen over the phone and let them record it while she tried to get a confession. On January 14th, Eileen called Tyria. Tyria told Eileen that the police were harassing her and her family. At first, Eileen tried to talk about how the sketches had caused mistaken identity, but Tyria was still trying to gain sympathy and kept on about her family being in danger. Eileen got suspicious and asked Tyria if there was someone else in the room with her, and she, of course, denied it, and they kept talking. As they spoke, Eileen became determined to protect Tyria and told her just to tell the police what she knows and what they want. And then Eileen whispered, if I have to confess, I will. So on January 16th, 1991, Eileen provided a full three-hour-long rambling, occasionally disjointed confession that was recorded on videotape. On the tape, Eileen said, I still have to say to myself, I still say that it was self-defense because most of them were either going to start to beat me or were going to screw me in the ass and they'd get rough with me so I'd fight them and I'd get away from them. But okay, we talked a little bit in the first episode about this or part one, but I can understand there there was at least one case that I feel like definitely, not that they deserved it at all, but I could, you know, it's that like anti-hero type of thing where I'm like, okay, well, you know, she went through a lot and it's not okay, but it happened. And I can understand how maybe in that situation, somebody would snap and somebody would do something that they maybe did not, should not be doing. But you can't say that for all of them. And they were, it was very much overkill in a lot of the cases. So I don't know if self-defense is going to fly for, well, for me, for sure, you know? Like maybe one, but maybe... The rest of them were just doing what you got to do. I don't know. Yeah, that's a lot of people. And also, if you are a, I guess, an essentially lifelong prostitute, mm-hmm. how, how many, you know, customers are you going to encounter? Over the course of years, I don't think it would be totally out of the realm of possibility that you would need to fight or protect yourself in several instances, you know, over the course of however many years. But all of these happened in like a couple of months. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are the odds that, yes, it is definitely dangerous. It can be a dangerous situation to get into. But what are the odds that the only one she ever had to kill somebody to protect herself, like in order to protect herself, happened within the course of just a couple months? Right. Or is it more likely that she decided 
at that point that she was going to start robbing them because she was feeling pressure to make more money. She was making less money. She wasn't getting as many customers because of the war and all of these things. Well, and now she's she's got to provide for right her girlfriend. Yeah. So. Yeah, she's feeling pressure to make more money there. So she sees an opportunity to rob these people and likely they started to fight back or something like that. And then so she got rid of the witnesses. That seems a lot more plausible given the short time span that it happened. Exactly. The public defender, while she's giving this confession, was sitting in the room like, please stop, just stop talking. Like, <laughs> there's so many times, I feel I feel really bad for anybody who was a lawyer. For Eileen, there's nothing you can do to, to stop her. No, I feel like with her personality, she just wanted somebody to like pay her attention. And so now she's got everybody's attention on her. And so of course she's going to really take that and run with it. But just the videos and the confessions and like the way that she was talking, it's very uncomfortable to watch and to listen to because something, there's a mental break or something has happened to her yeah. mental state. But yeah, she's just like, give that, if you give that woman a microphone or like a, you know, a platform to talk, she she's a filibuster, that's for sure. Yeah, and you never know what's Wait, are you a filibuster or do you filibuster? I think you filibuster. Okay, well, I'm filibusted. (laughs) I think you are. I'll say that. Um, And you never know which side she's going to come out on. It's like some days she takes full responsibility. Some days it's the government's fault. Like, but sometimes it seems like even in the same conversation, she flip flops. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. Know? Yeah. Eileen said she didn't care about the public defender and that she can't be any truthfuller. She was adamant that Tyria was not involved. Yeah. Bless her. Yikes. Yikes, yeah. Um, She was adamant that Tyria was not involved and was completely innocent. Eileen said, I don't want an innocent person hurt. Like, I guess not including the seven men she killed, but just like starting now. She ended up admitting to seven murders, but claimed they were all self-defense. She was charged with six first-degree murders and was almost immediately approached about movie and book offers as were her family and friends. Her defense attorney, Steve Glazer, tried to make it very clear to Eileen that there are laws about profiting from your wrongdoings, and if she went through with any of this, she wouldn't make enough money to buy a pack of cigarettes. Eileen was awaiting her trial in jail, and somehow a born-again Christian named Arlene Praley found out about her. Praley was convinced that Eileen was really a good person and that she had been compelled by God to help Eileen. I think that if God gives you the task of helping Eileen Warnos, you have to be, okay, because you know how they're always like, God won't give you something you can't handle or whatever. <laughs> like, right. you must be able to handle everything because that would be just a tall order. And I don't think, I don't think God's that mean. I just don't think he is. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that would, yeah, that's a lot. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Praley was very eager to be able to visit with Eileen in jail, but was turned away because she's not family. <laughs> okay, so no problem. I can get around that. Um, I will just become her family. And Glazer said, well, if you adopted this 35-year-old serial killer, you could visit her all you want because you'd be her mom. So Praline, or Praley and her husband, I said Praline. <laughs> Delicious. I know. Obviously, I'm hungry. And her husband agreed that it is the most logical next step. So on November the 7th, 1991, the Praleys adopt a bouncing baby girl who is also a grown-ass woman on trial for murdering seven men. Wait, 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 wait. I cannot believe that that's the logical next step. I won't deny that. But then her husband was like, yes, sure. Yeah, I like... If for some reason I just felt super compelled to visit a, uh, an accused serial killer at this point, she's not been convicted, I guess. But, but she's not I'm just like, accused, she's a confessed serial killer. Yeah. And it's like, well, I got to get in there and talk to her. I got to get in there. Got to get in there. And they're like, well, you're not family. You can't. I'd be like, well, damn. I mean, I've done all I could. Like, yeah. But Gave she's it like, the old college try. Okay, I'll just adopt her. I just cannot believe that. At first, I thought, Maybe she would marry someone in the family or something. You know, oh, well, I'm her sister-in-law, but no, 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 no. Adopted her. Yeah. Okay. Public defender Trisha Jenkins said that Arlene became somewhat of a distraction for Eileen. Eileen refused to work with the defense team unless they talked with Arlene and took care of anything Arlene needed. On January 15th, 1992, Eileen's murder trial for Richard Mallory began. Her strategy was that she'd killed him in self-defense, of course. Now, her attorney for this trial was the attorney mentioned previously named Stephen Glazer. He was also known as Dr. Legal in his commercials. He was a pot-smoking, music-playing, Afro-sporting lawyer, and he really was something. He seemed to see the interview with 60 Minutes as his way to break into the music biz. Well, I mean, I miss, you miss all of the shots you don't take, right? So I don't get it. This seems like something out of a movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you're going on 60 Minutes to do an interview about your client who is going to get the death penalty. Right. And you're like... Like, <laughs> it's like, Torella, do you remember? I know you remember because I bring it up all the fucking time. Uh, the real world episode with David. Remember? That's him. Yeah. 
yes. come on, be my baby tonight. Yes. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Oh, what a weirdo. Was that New Orleans? Yeah, it was so. Of course, it was New Orleans. That's why I can't remember, <laughs> or I can't believe you don't remember Danny. Yeah, he was. He was in New Orleans, and he was. I thought he was a total smoke show, and I was so disappointed <laughs> that he was gay. Because I was like, well, now I can never marry him. I know, right? You had a chance before. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, it's just the real world. It's not like he's a major celebrity. And it's not like I'm 12 years old. Yeah, none of those things matter to me. Wait, I want to bring up a time that we both had crushes on grown men when we were like five. And it's a little something I like to talk about called swimming lessons. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. I remember his name was Chris. I knew you would remember his name. Oh, yeah, I did. you got it tattooed on your butt. Probably my first love, my swim instructor. (laughs) You never forget your first love. Oh, of course not. No. No. On the day that Tyria testified against Eileen, Eileen was devastated. She didn't know that Tyria had turned on her, and Tyria wouldn't look at Eileen the entire time she was on the witness stand. Eileen was warned that it was not a good plan to have her testify in her own defense. Of course. Well, how many times have we heard that? Uh, yeah, and especially, especially Eileen. <laughs> yeah, she was a constant rumbling volcano, just waiting for the slightest provocation. The prosecution would destroy her on cross examination. She testified anyway and claimed that Mallory raped and tortured her, so she shot him in self defense. She said that he choked her and that he said, oh, oh, I don't know if I can say this. Can you replace certain words with like other words like cookies or fishies or something? She said that he choked her and he said that she was wet for his huge cock. I, yeah, I can't. That's worse than I thought you were going to say. What do we do with that? Do we... Do we leave it? I think that's the end of the episode. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's it. Do we leave it in and just be grownups and move past it? Or... So weird. She was W for his huge C. I don't know what to do with that. No, I don't like any of it. Especially crass and vulgar. Even from like me, us, us, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll just move on. And and asked her, want to die slut? Eileen testified that Mallory put rubbing alcohol up her nose. On cross-examination, she let her temper show because... She's physically incapable of not. The jury was not on her side. And on January 27th, after only two hours of deliberation, they came back with a verdict of guilty for first-degree murder. She flipped and started yelling at the jury on her way out. She said, I was raped. I hope you get raped, scumbags. That doesn't help. I, mm -mm. She hasn't been sentenced yet. Like, that doesn't help. But she even flipped the judge off. I remember all of this. Yeah. And of course, then she came back the next day for sentencing and the whole jury was told, I hope you get raped. So 
that's not going to obviously go well. Eileen's team said that she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and because of this, she shouldn't get the death penalty. The jury was not sympathetic, and Eileen Warnos, a.k.a. Susan Lynn, a.k.a. Lori Christina Grody, a.k.a. Lee Blahovec, a.k.a. Cammie Marsh-Green, was sentenced to death. I didn't know she went by all those names. I didn't either. I mean, I knew Lee, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Over the next two years, Eileen pleaded no contest to three counts of murder and then pleaded guilty on two more. Eventually, she asked Glazer just to get it all finished. She was mad about having multiple death sentences and even said to the press on her way out of court once, how many times you got to kill me? This is bullshit. We don't need to be doing this. In January of 92, Eileen was 36 years old and claimed that she had found God in all of her time reading the Bible. She spent 23 hours in solitary confinement daily, so she spent most of that time reading. She said she wanted to be executed, but she had to wait for her automatic appeals to get used up. So she read her Bible and drew pictures with an ink pen, which she then sent to Mommy Arlene. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. However, Mommy Dearest had an ulterior motive for being Eileen's mom. She wanted to make money off of their relationship. Wow. Did God, was that part of God's plan as well? Exactly. Exactly. Like, when people say that, like, God spoke to them and had a plan for them, it always seems to be either that it's a man who has sex with multiple young girls or boys. It always includes like pedophilia or taking advantage somebody in, of somebody in some way, making money off of them. Like it always includes things that are clearly in direct opposition to any plan that God would have for you. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Ridiculous. All the pictures that Eileen was sending to Arlene, Arlene was holding on to so that she could start a museum. Eileen called her out on trying to profit off her and Arlene stopped coming around. During one of her appeals, Eileen's new attorney, Joe Hobson, claimed poor representation on the behalf of Eileen's previous lawyer, Steve Glazer. In that trial, it was pointed out that Glazer used Eileen's interviews to make thousands and thousands of dollars. Glazer would testify that because Eileen couldn't pay him, they made the money for his fees using interviews. I don't know about that. The defense attorney played a clip from a documentary called Selling a Serial Killer. In that clip, Glazer is interviewed with Arlene about the money from the interviews. Arlene says that they have Eileen do interviews for money. The interviewer pays her, and then she pays Glazer. 
Glazer was called inexperienced, and it was brought out that the lawyer didn't even have a fax machine in the 90s. They didn't even have one? They didn't even have a fax machine. I wanted to fax you, but you don't even have a fax. <laughs> but was it like one of his ads, like uh, it made a big deal about faxing him or something? I can't remember, but I feel like there was like a big deal about the fax machine that like, I don't know, maybe not. I have no idea. But like what kind of racket are they running if they don't even have a fax machine? You got to have a fax machine. Like how in the world is anybody supposed to send you like, you know, letters and shit that like are going to get there in any timely manner in the 90s? Well, exactly. You got to have a fax machine. Right. Glazer was accused of not preparing Eileen for the possible outcomes of the trials. Eileen seemed to believe that she was going to get off and go live with Arlene. Nick Broomfield, the director of Eileen Warnos' Life and Death of a Serial Killer and Selling a Serial Killer, was called to testify about footage he'd gotten of Glazer smoking joints. I remember that in that episode. Because he's like riding in the car with him and they're going, they're going somewhere. And he's like lighting up joints and like openly talking about oh smoking God. weed, driving the car. They were on their way to see Eileen and Broomfield asked Glazer how long the trip would take. And he said it's about a six or seven joint ride. Oh my God. <laughs> they drove to their meeting with Eileen where Glazer would provide legal advice after his six to seven joints. And on that trip, the people in the car were treated with the sultry sounds of Steve Glazer's own music on cassette tape. Like, there are no words. Mm -mm. There are no words. He had joints in his mouth on videotape while driving to see Eileen to provide her with legal advice. Higher than a fucking kite. Well, okay. Five to six joints back to back like that? Like, I don't know. Can you imagine how red his eyes would be? I don't even think they could open up anymore. How could you even function without at least five bags of sun chips at that point? Like, how is he even doing anything? You're going to need the puffy Cheetos. Yeah. And some fruity pebbles. Something. Yeah, something. I I don't get it. And I don't know. He Like, Eileen Mornos was not a good person. But at every single turn in her entire life, she got taken advantage of in some way. Like this is supposed to be her defense attorney who's supposed to have her best interest at heart when she sometimes doesn't or doesn't know what, you know, know how- What's best for her. Yeah. And he's gonna fucking smoke six or seven joints on the way to go meet with her. Like that's not the first time he did it, obviously, because he was super comfortable doing it on fucking camera. So this is an and and he's already saying it's about a six to seven joint ride. So every trip he's taken to go visit her and meet with her, he's been fucking high for. Like, how inappropriate. Yeah, that's wildly inappropriate. And I mean, on top of that, selling interviews and things like that of her. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is such a, it's not touchy. It's, it's such a weird thing because I can look at all sides of it and be like, well, yeah, you know, like people took, people took advantage of her. That's awful. Well, then she was upset because she felt like Tyria, Tyria? Yeah, I think. I don't know. I feel like I'm putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, but yeah, Tyria, she 
was the only person that Eileen felt like she could trust for a while. Well, then she found out that she went behind her back. I don't blame her. I would have done it too. I'd roll over on anybody in a fucking heartbeat. Yeah. But I don't, you know, like how how could she feel like anybody anybody had her best interest at heart or anybody cared about her? Right. Yeah. It's just, the whole thing is so sad. It's so mm-hmm. sad. Yeah. And when you factor in like growing up and the abuse growing up, the fact that she did not know that her grandparents were her grandparents for the first, what, 12 years of her life. Like, I know we said it last time, but like you can just see where those like tendencies of leaning towards paranoia started. It just makes sense. Well, yeah, it's like a perfect recipe for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you couple that with some intense mental instability. Yeah. That was never, ever, ever treated. Mm-mm. Never. And drug abuse on top of that, which just oh, exacerbates yeah. things. There's just, yeah, all of it. In July of 2001, 45-year-old Eileen was tired of waiting. She went to court to have her appeals waived. She stated that it was just using taxpayer money and then told the court that her murders were never self-defense. She admitted that she robbed all of the men and killed them to get rid of any witnesses. She went on to say that if she ever got out, she knows she would kill again. She would continue to waffle back and forth about her motives for the murders. She was adamant for a long time that all the murders were in self-defense, but she changed that story to none of it was self-defense, and then she killed him for money. It just all over the place. In a 1994 interview with 60 Minutes Australia, when talking about how someone had called her crimes horrendous, Eileen said, those men were just shot. They weren't cut up. There was no OJ jazz. All they were was shot and left. If it was horrendous, why didn't I shoot them between their eyes, cut their penis off, and stick it in their mouth? She just doesn't do anything to help herself in any way, shape, or form. No, no, no. Just, I think that she could have benefited from like silence is a virtue type of mentality. Like let's let's pump the brakes on it. You don't have to say everything that you're thinking. Yeah, exactly. In a prison interview with an Orlando base station, Eileen pushed some of the blame for her murders onto the police. She claimed they knew who she was the whole time and they let her become a serial killer. Eileen says she was set up by the police so they could become rich and famous off of her murders. And she legit believed that in the times that she was leaning towards that, you know, because she would go Mm. back and forth all over the place. And even right before her execution, she was saying some of that kind of stuff to Nick Broomfield or whatever his name is. It's insane. Eileen continued to rail about how the police treated her in her interviews with Nick Broomfield, director of Eileen Warno's Life and Death of a Serial Killer and Selling a Serial Killer. She said that police had her fingerprints from the Mallory case because she was not a professional murderer and she was sloppy. They knew who she was and let her keep killing and getting these horrible men off the streets. Then they took her in so they could make money off of her and people could climb their career ladders using her. Okay, there are bits and pieces of that that are true. Mm-hmm. That using her to climb their career ladders. Right. Using her for money. But I don't think that she's some sort of like 
uh, Robin Hood no. vigilante. Yeah. What is that? Who is that guy? Dexter. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, because the, I mean, obviously the fact of the matter is she killed across like county lines and stuff. So they just didn't know that there was, that any of the murders were tied together for a while. But the idea that law enforcement as a whole, because you're talking about multiple districts and whatever, would be like, hang on, let's see what she does here. Yeah. Give her some time. We know who she is. Yeah. And we all had these men marked on our list that we needed to do something to off them anyway. So maybe she's just going to handle it for us. Like, (laughs) it's almost impressive what a stretch it is. Like, how your mind, I guess, can come up with all kinds of things. I don't know. Yeah. But like you said, three officers were fired for trying to sell Eileen's story. So, you know, yeah, they definitely were using the opportunity to make money, which they shouldn't have. Captain Steve Binniger, Major Dean Henry, and Investigator Bruce Munster were involved with Tyria in movie discussions about Eileen. Major Dan Henry was chief of staff of the Marion County Sheriff's Office, and he was forced to resign when taped conversations were discovered between him and Munster. In another interview, Eileen said that she never provoked any of these men. She claimed that she never cursed in front of her clients and was very ladylike. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. She said they would talk about politics and religions and she would never argue with them. In another interview with Nick Broomfield, Eileen was calm and said she wanted to come clean with him. She said she wasn't going to get off death row and she can't be executed until she had spoken the truth. She was clear when she told him that she had actually killed all the men because she wanted to rob them. She said she knew she was going to kill them when they picked her up. Her rent was due and Tyria was tearing through all their money. Eileen said Tyria knew what she was doing the whole time. Eileen said that Richard Mallory was absolutely not self-defense. He had a car and the amount of money she needed for rent. That was it. She claimed that her story didn't just change because she was ready to die and be done with all of this, but it was timely that she changed her tune because now it's it's time to... um, like Woody uh, Harrelson says in Zombieland. Nut up or, oh wait, buck up. What is it? Nut up or buck up? What was it? Something, or, so, shut up or nut up? Nut, nut up, up or, or shut, shut up. up. Wow. Oh my God. I was just going to say it right the first time, but you know. <laughs> I really needed to get there by you myself. You really apparently. needed to get there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my time God. to nut up or shut up. 
On April 1st, 2002, Eileen's request to waive her appeals was upheld and her execution was scheduled for October. During the last months, Eileen continued to blame others for what she became. She didn't deny that she had done the deeds, but she blamed others for letting her do it or pushing her to do it. Now, there there wasn't any evidence that Tyria knew about everything as it was happening, right? I don't think so. I mean, I think that there was an inkling. I think that she kind of looked the other way on a lot of stuff. Well, and we talked about like how she was scared and then she thought, well, maybe, or she thought she would get out of her system and then she was scared and the whole thing. Oh, But right. I don't know if yeah. she knew the extent of everything. Mm, yeah, that's still, I don't know. She knew too much. She knew too much. I don't know how I feel about her getting immunity, honestly. I don't think they needed Tyria to get a confession from her. And they didn't need a confession to put her away. Mm-mm. They had evidence. Yeah. But they're treating Tyria like she was this golden witness that broke open the case. And I don't know if that's... That's a little too much credit there. Yeah, they big fat knew it was her. Like, I... And they had solid evidence to back it up. Like, well, Charlie, they knew it was her from the beginning because they were waiting for her to just get rid of all of their, like, scum of the earth problems. Well, they've been knowing. They've been knowing. Eileen's attorney was concerned that she was not mentally competent to understand the ramifications of the death penalty. She was noted to be disconnected from reality. That's that's an understatement. That's believable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A stay of execution was granted by Governor Jeb Bush so that Eileen's mental competency could be assessed. I don't know if you said it this way on purpose or what, but like the way you said governor was very like Governor Jed, Jed Bush, you know? Yeah, I felt like it went with a Bush, you know? Governor yes. Jed Bush. And I'm reminded of the birdcage, which you still have never seen, but they talk about the Bushes in that movie. How does it, what do they say that relates? Well, they're just like when they go to um, visit, because it's Jean Hackman, and I cannot think for anything what her name is. She was the mom on... Edward hands. She's so sweet. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But she was talking about her daughter, like, because they go to visit the son's family, and it's Nathan Lane and Robin Williams. And they are, Gene Hackman is, a, is in politics, so he can't be, like, it's, you know, that's obscene and taboo and whatever. And so they lie to him and tell him that they live an attache, cultural attache to Greece. And they're like, yeah, they're from uh, Miami, but they live in this area. And they're like, oh, uh, like the Bushes. Do they know the Bush? Like the Jeb Bushes or whatever? And it's like, no. (laughs) I I said all that to say, oh, I've heard his name before. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm so glad to know exactly where it was and the time of day and what you were eating and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Three psychiatrists evaluated her and determined that she was competent. I'm a little not sure about that. Well, yeah. I mean, did they talk to her? I guess not. Because, I, yeah, I don't understand. <sighs> she was not... <sighs> that is very fine hanging. Yeah, and were they treating her for mental illness while she was in prison? Because if they were, it wasn't working very good. <laughs> like... And if they weren't, then they should have been. Exactly. So I don't understand. I don't understand how they got competency there, but 
Yeah, it's like grossly irresponsible. I think way. so, yeah. On October 9th, 2002, Eileen was put to death via lethal injection. She was 46 years old when she died. And her final words were pretty telling of her mental state. Eileen said, I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. That's sad. I feel like that's sad. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, she wasn't competent. No, and I feel like, yeah, I mean, she's definitely not a good person, was not a good person. She did a lot of stuff wrong. She, I don't, I, but I do think that the system failed her in a lot mm-hmm. of places. Like, you know, she didn't have a chance. Yeah. I don't think she had a chance before she was born. I don't think she had a chance after she was born. I, you know, like yeah. nowhere. No. It's just sad because at the root of it, at the heart of it, she just wanted to be accepted and she wanted to be loved. And yeah, nowhere along the line did she find that for real. Right, yeah. Because I think that the... I mean, she definitely had a temper. She definitely flew off the handle a lot, things like that. She wasn't stable with her moods or anything like that. But I think she'd gotten to the point, there was just those, it was like a perfect storm. She was getting older. The lifestyle that she lived was taking a toll on her looks. She wasn't getting as many customers. They were blowing through all their money. Now, at this point, she blames it on Tyria, but I don't know, you know. I don't know whose fault it was that they were running out of money, but they were running out of money. She wasn't working as much. So now she feels the need to, you know, obviously she's going to take a step and make a decision that people, most normal people are not going to make. But that's when she starts doing this. It's, and it's again, all drives back to that need to be accepted because I think that she felt like if she didn't make enough money that that relationship wasn't going to stay. Mm-hmm. And it probably wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. She was cremated and her best friend since childhood, Don Botkins, who had continued visiting her and being her friend, took her ashes back to Michigan and planted a tree for Eileen. That's sad. Yeah, and she, I saw in the one documentary that I watched, I've watched the Nick Broomfield one a long time ago, and then I watched another one um, called like Born to Kill or something like that. And the tree looks really nice. And she's like, you know, this is just where she needs to be. It's like, she can be with this tree. She's out in nature. It's peaceful here. Nobody's bothering her. Is Nick Broomfield, is he British? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I know exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not my favorite. The only thing about him that I like, I think, is his accent. Yeah, I guess. And that's even touchy for me. I think that he's exploitative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't think that you can be in that po- in that profession and not be. I guess. Yeah. He's just, he's icky. Yeah, he is. So that's Eileen. Part Ugh. two. Yeah, it's a sad one. I feel like, I mean, you know, again, we can say it all day long, but she's she's not a great person, but she sure had a rough go of it, too. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, because there's all that nature versus nurture, and I think that, honestly, she had a mix of both, but... Her nurture was awful. Mm, yeah, definitely. 
Um, like I said, I mean, she just did not have, she didn't have a prayer. No, she really didn't. But that's the case. And, uh, you know, let us know what you think of it. You can always comment on, you know, everywhere, social, the Patreon, wherever you want to chat at us, just do it. Yeah, just do it, Nike. Yeah, just do it. All right. Well, we'll catch you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.